Amen, amen, amen. Ephesians chapter 3 in your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 3 in your Bibles. want to also keep some people lifted up today. Um, we, um, uh, Joel, his mom just, um, I'm going to probably go back and pray. Um, we want to pray for his mom. She's just had to go under the knife to get her defibrillator replaced um, immediately. So they had to run out. So pray for the Gaineses. We also want to keep in prayer um, those who have lost family members over the last month. Had a couple of members lose families. We have uh, uh, family members. We had Erica McNeely. Our sister lost her mom. Um, usually the love is real strong. And then after the funeral, everything drop off. And so want to keep um, them lifted up. Mike and Angela Board lost their uh, grandfather. Um, so we want to we want to keep different ones in our in our community um, lifted up during very very difficult times. So let me let me pray for that again. And as we go back into the word, Lord, we pray, God, for um, Lord God the the Gaineses, Lord God, we pray for uh, um, his mom, Mama Gaines, Lord God, and she's been she's been through so much. She's been going through chemotherapy. And her spirit has just been incredible through it all, Lord God. And she had to get this emergency surgery to get the defibrillator replaced. So she's dealing with a heart as well as uh, cancer. So, God, will you, will you bring shalom to her body? In Jesus' mighty name, will you, will you bring rest to her soul, Lord God? And will you zoom her in on you, Lord God? And I pray for uh, the McNeely's, Lord God. And I pray, Lord God, for the boards, Lord God, that you would um, touch everyone in these families, Lord God, that... Um, have lost loved ones, um, some a little younger, some a little older. But, God, we pray, Lord God, that you would uh, restore comfort in them. Lord God, restore peace in them. And um, I, I, we are so thankful that they, they get to grieve uh, with hope. Um, and, and so we honor you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. So, when Ephesians chapter 3, we're, we're finally in the new chapter, praise God. With another chapter, we're in chapter 3. Um, very, very interesting chapter that we are going to get to go through. One of the things that I um, love about going line by line through the Word of God is you got to trust God to say something out of everything. Um, you, you, um, you know, it's not just picking something you want to say and grabbing a text and saying, say it for me, say, say what you want to say using a text. But it's a great opportunity to kind of um, trust God with every word that is from God. And everywhere I, I, I get to look, I'm not, I'm, 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 I'm going to just stop being surprised. Um, like, that God, like, talks out of everything he says. Like, he, he, his mouth is wide open from every section of Scripture. And, and many times we can sleep on things that we mostly sleep on, you know, just means you don't pay attention to it. Um, but um, so sometimes we can sleep on what God wants to say to us in a particular passage. And here, in this passage that Paul begins to talk about the nature and purpose of the gospel. Um, he begins to lay it out. Really, he spends an entire chapter, although all of the Bible points to the gospel, he specifically here, not implicitly, but explicitly explain some things about the gospel. And, and in light of talking about and explaining the gospel, which is very important, he talks about the church's post-salvific role with the gospel. In other words, he's now not talking about how you get saved like he did in chapter 2. Now he's talking about how you walk in being saved as God's community and how the gospel is central to that reality. In other words, he over and over and over again throughout Scripture, they emphasize that the gospel is not just for non-Christians. 
all through the Bible that it's as well um, for Christians. So we're here in this passage. We're going to go through these verses, and we're going to dive in and see what God got to say to us. Um, We'll we'll probably read the verse 4. I don't know how far we'll get today, but we'll see how the Lord leads us. Um, Verse 1 of chapter 3 says, For this reason I, Paul, am a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. That sounds, that sounds funny, for you Gentiles, right? Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. And uh, uh, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has been, as na- has now been revealed to uh, his holy prophets, uh, his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Paul is beginning this section by almost starting over in a, a new salutation. Salutation is when an author begins a particular book, and he's saying, what up to everybody? You know what I'm saying? Like, what's good? You know what I'm saying? He begins to pray, chop with the fam. But right here, he dives into something unique, which I think is beautiful, which brings us to our, our, our title today and our, and our first point. I, I want to talk about today a very important thing for the Christian to be underst- understand and to be identified by, and that's being on lockdown. Say on lockdown. Yeah, this, this, this section right here, Paul begins to talk to Christians about what it means to be on lockdown, but on lockdown to someone, someplace, and something. So we're going to talk about real briefly being on lockdown. And that brings us to our first point of this understanding of being on lockdown. We have bound freedom. We have bound freedom. Let me, let me say that one more time. We have bound freedom. Now, 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 what's interesting is, is how Paul begins this because it seems confusing. It seems as if everything in the Christian life is built to bring you out of bondage. But what's funny about the Christian life, which I found out real quick, is that you get put right back in bondage. However, that bondage that you get put in is actually freedom if you understand it right. So Paul here in this passage he says, he didn't say Paul an apostle. He didn't say Paul who, who wrote mad letters. He didn't say Paul who healed people. Paul who's, who probably, he said Paul a prisoner. Say prisoner. Oh, I wish somebody in here can understand what it means to be in prison. See, I, 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 see I, my, my greatest fear in life, you know, I grew up in D.C. So my greatest fear, well, actually I had th- two other ones, but my greatest, greatest, greatest fear above Deep water, like I found out last week, and height was going to prison. You know, nobody wanted to go to Lorton Jail in Lorton, Virginia when I was growing up in D.C. Cat got on lockdown in Lorton. You was in trouble for real. You know, uh, uh, my, 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 I used to go with my sister to visit a dude named Bo Peep. That was his name, Bo Peep. So you know Bo, that just sounds like he's up to something. He ain't got no business. Just the name sound like, man, come on, Doc, change that thing, man. You know what I'm saying? And so, but, but, but and one of the things that I noticed while these cats were, were, were in prison is, is they had to wear whatever um, the warden and the system said they had to wear. Not only that is they had to get up 
whenever someone told him to get up, when it was time for, I mean, grown, big old grown, rusty jokers. Got to go to, when somebody tell them to go to bed and turn off the lights, guess what they got to do? They got to do that like their children. Guess what? Then you got, then you eat when somebody, you can't pick, you ain't going, it ain't the McDonald's menu, it ain't Burger King, have it your way. It's whatever is made in the mess hall, you're behind, eat or you're going to starve. Um, and what's interesting is that, that, that I was fearful of not only that environment, but just cast wilding on me. Like, I about to be on guard all the time, you know what I'm saying? Because Lord, was a, it wasn't minimum, it was, it was maximum and medium. So, you know, there was some wildaciousness going on in that joint. So, so, so but, 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 but being a prisoner of Christ is, 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 is what Paul is talking about here. In, in other words, now he has a new warden now. Your old warden was Satan. You were in prison to Satan. You were in prison. Whatever he told you to do, you did. Whatever he told you to like, you liked. Whatever he told you to hate, especially Jesus, you hated. He, he had so much control over what you did is he put glasses on you called a veil based on 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 that says that, that Satan has blinded the eyes of, uh, of the unbelieving in order that they may not understand the gospel. So he blinded us and, 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 and put a leash on us and kept us on lockdown and had us in check. However, now that Christ has come, now that he's come through the gospel and died the death we can never, live the life we can never live, died the death we can never die, and get raised up from the grave that we could never get raised up uh, without his grace, now we're, now we changed chains. Chains of chains. This word, this word prisoner is different than the word slave. Now, Paul will call himself Paul a servant or a slave. That's a doulas. Um, uh, but this, 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 is, this is a different word. Uh, this word is desmias. Say desmias. This means fetter or chain. To be chained to someone, something, or someplace. So in other words, when you're chained to this someone, this something, or someplace, it's like you're chained to that person like in the old chain game movies when the dude was taking, the marshal was taking you on the steam train. You know what I'm saying? And you got locked to him, you know what I'm saying? And you had to be next to him, and wherever he took you, you had to go. That's what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about being bound, being constricted, but also having freedom at the same time. So Paul is helping us to understand the nature of every Christian's life. That there's some things that you used to be chained to that Christ has unpositionally unlocked you from. Now that you're in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, he changed you to himself. When he chains you, he changes you. And what's beautiful is if you really understand what the Christian life is about, it no longer is about a chain anymore. Because this chain is an invisible chain that doesn't keep you sore or you got an itch, scratch between it. This is a chain based on Christ having control of your heart and you having access to his heart. And as he walks, as he leads, as he directs, you follow. Let me see if I can make it plain. All right, because y'all looking at me real funny like y'all understand what I'm talking about. See, see, but see, back, when, when I, back in my day, see, I'm, I'm talking about my day. I know everybody, some of y'all been a Christian all your life. 
So some of y'all, you know, I, when, when did you become, I've been, I've been a Christian all my life. I grew up in a Christian home. I had a Christian daddy. I had a Christian mommy. I had a Christian house. Um, we had a Christian name over top of it. We had a memory verse. We had family night. Um, we went to Christian movies. We went to Christian youth group. We had Christian candy. We had Christian cars. We had Christian's license plate. We had Christian bumper stickers. We had Christian shirts. We had Christian hats. We had Christian jeans, Christian socks, Christian seeks, Christ, Christian fat laces. Everything in your life was Christian. But, 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 but I wasn't, and I knew I wasn't. See, see, I knew I wasn't. And so I did not like anything about the Christian life. See, I used to try to use Islam to throw at, but really what I was, I was scared of what God would do to me. See, I, I, I had so built my life around demonic passions. I like blunts. Love them. I'm telling you. I rolled a tightest blunt. I loved it. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I like smoking beady. Y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. I liked honeys. Honeys. I loved, oh, I loved cursing you out up and down something. I, I, I like not just, not, just, not just doing bad. I liked, I liked being bad. So I knew that being in Christ would interrupt my passions because I thought that smoking weed, having honeys, all these different things was a freedom for me. In other words, I was free to wild out, but God would take away that freedom by binding me to not wilding out. But I didn't understand what it meant to be a Christian because I didn't realize that the freedom that I thought I had was really bondage. See, see, all of that was bondage in my life. And I didn't realize how, how messed up I was, even though I did kind of realize I do be wild. Because what, what would happen is I would try to fill myself with all this stuff. And I would have to keep trying to fill myself up with it. And I remember being lonely, smoking weed out at the frat plot, looking up in heaven, talking to God, scared to death, wondering. I don't know what was happening. I believe it was God lassoing me by his grace while I was yet in my mess. But I didn't know that to become a Christian now meant that I was on beautiful lockdown with greater freedom than I would ever understand. Why? Because I underestimated God's grace. See, I thought that to be a man, you had to get you some honeys. You know what I'm saying? But, I didn't, but, but when I got married, amen, <laughs> God took one pair of chains off, and then he chained us together. Now, when he chained us together, I didn't know the, the blessings and the freedoms that God allows. Amen. I, I didn't know that, that God opened up a black hole for me. In Jesus' name, he, he opened up so many things for me. In Jesus' mighty name. <laughs> and my bonded, the thing that I thought God, I thought God was a party pooper. And that all he wants to do is stop me from enjoying anything. But when I became a prisoner of Christ, I got in the best jail cell I could ever be in in my life. Matter of fact, it's a pretty big jail cell. I didn't realize I was in a very, very small four-by-four room, but I didn't realize that I got to experience, listen, in Jesus Christ, more things with less but be more. 
See, 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 some of y'all think God is trying to punish. Listen, God has, we, see, you think, I, I need multiple options. See, we the option generation. You know, we got LinkedIn, we got, we got Twitter, we got Facebook, so we need multiple options. We got, we got um, nobody use MySpace no more, but people got texting and all of that. You know what I'm saying? We got all kinds of options, so we come to the Christian life thinking that God, if God gives me one option for something, it can't be as much as this that I have over here. But God is infinite. So therefore, whatever he puts you in prison to is infinite in its opportunity. Being a prisoner of Christ, it's the most beautiful, 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 beautiful thing of them all. And I'm still growing in it. I'm learning how to be a good prisoner. I'm serious because God has to remind me that everything he gives is, is, is less but more. Every single thing that he gives. <coughs> because the devil has a counterfeit of every. I'm getting ahead of myself. This, but anyway, what the devil will do is he'll create an optional reverse of what God has in singular and fool you into thinking that this option is more big because he's a great marketing. But God doesn't market. He uses obedience as his marketing technique to actually show you how big what it is because the devil will market everything on flat, digital, everything. You'll be like, wow, that's, that look great. But then God's like, Psh. I mean, like, because we know what we think God's going to do. We think God is going to convince us to walk with him. See, Jesus would say, come follow me. Dude would be like, he'd be like, all right. <laughs> See, some of us got the wrong view of Jesus. See, some of us think Jesus, come on, please, please, please. No, he didn't. He didn't show me in the Bible where Jesus asked people to follow him like that. Man, I'm really in need of you. He said, you want to follow me? Can't get quiet. He said, I'm quiet too. He gone on the next. <laughs> but then when you become a disciple, and he starts, a little pat, the, the disciples asked him one time, he says, why do you speak in everybody in parables? He says, because to you it has been given the ability to know the mysteries, the massiveness of the kingdom. And so, and so, and so he's keeping, he's keeping them away from us. Now, Paul is talking about this beauty of this imprisonment, but now let's look at what he's, what his imprisonment is fully about. Because when we get down and we look at this idea of imprisonment, we see what we're imprisoned about. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, I like that, or of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. I like that. On behalf of you Gentiles. Now, this points Paul, well, actually us, when Paul, it brings us to our next point. Our bound freedom serves the gospel. That's the identifier of whether or not you're walking as a biblical prisoner. Okay? So, so, so if you're doing your prison sentence of eternal life rightly, it serves the gospel. Now, how do I know that? It's right here in the text. He says, he says on behalf of you Gentiles. Now, if you look back in Acts chapter 9, verse 15 and 16, you don't have to turn there. Paul had laid out um, to, to him through Annas what the call was for him in relation to why God met him on the Damascus road. Now, what happened was, is he was called to do what? He was called to minister uniquely as a minister to the Gentiles. 
you'll not only see his ministry to the Gentiles there, you'll see it um, in Romans chapter 15, um, you'll see it verse 20. He says, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. So Paul had a clear understanding of the fact that he was saved, not merely for himself, but he was saved to serve the one who, is, who he's in prison to, who he's chained to, who he's locked on to. And it's interesting that in that verse, it talks about, man, I'm called to unreached people groups. I love that. He said, I'm, call, I'm called to spit the gospel to people that ain't never heard it. Don't even, don't even know it. See, 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 and that's what we're called to be. <laughs> we're called to not just shuffle Christians around. Paul said, I'm not called to Christian shuffling. He said, he said, he says, I'm, he said, he said, you know, I remember back in the day, the dude be on the back of the bus with a little thing on his lap, and he put the thing on it. Guess which one is under? I said, nah, you ain't getting me. Put the five dollars down, dog. You know, we're going to switch, and he's doing the switcheroo. See, Jesus don't do the switcheroo. You know what I'm saying? Listen, he wants us to see unreached people engaged with the gospel and how we serve the beauty of that gospel, right? So we're to reach unreached people in the city and globally. That's just a little side note, right? Um, it says, so, 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 so the importance of this idea uh, is Paul's willingness and his commitment to engaging the Gentiles with the gospel. And so his life, his, his imprisonment wasn't just about his personal freedom, but about leveraging his life in order that others may get free also. And everything in your life must be leveraged for others in Jesus' name. Uh, how in your life right now is your imprisonment helping get others on lockdown? Has anyone been on lockdown because of your chains? And has Christi have other Christians been edified by watching those chains? I got to go to the next point because I got to move. I got to move. I got to move. Next point, last point. We're going to spend a lot of time on this one. Bound freedom comes with responsibility. That's the hard thing. I, you know what? Responsibility. I know we believe in God's sovereignty here. God is sovereign. He is. But his sovereignty makes us responsible. And, and listen to what he says. What, what, so, so we saw that he's a prisoner. <coughs> we saw that on behalf of the Gentiles. But this is interesting. For, for the stewardship of God's grace. He says, I, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace. Now, stewardship here is a bit different than the way we use it in the stewardship series. And grace is here. It is unmerited favor here, <coughs> but it's a wee bit different than the way we normally think of grace. I'm going to explain that. <coughs> stewardship here has to do with responsibility. Say responsibility. means administering a particular responsibility that God has given you. Since, of course, God is the owner of everything, but it's not just his ownership that we're talking about, but it's talking about stewarding something in particular, and it's talking about stewarding his grace, say his grace. Now, grace, um, always, it, it, grace in its infant state of charis means, um, um, uh, um, it means um, uh, unmerited favor. However, here, the sense of grace is unmerited favor pointed in a particular direction. It's unmerited favor from God that causes him, based on our calling as prisoners, 
to make stuff happen that nobody else can make happen. In other words, God opens doors, and guess what else God does? Closes doors. Let, let me, let me, let, let's, let's get some more verses for this because y'all still looking at me. Funny. Uh, Galatians 2.9, it says, And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived that grace was given to me to do something, what? They gave, they gave me the right hand of fellowship uh, to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they, and, and, uh, and they to the circumcised. So in other words, they recognized, Paul went up, laid out his gospel presentation, and they weren't just, they weren't just, they weren't just concerned about his gospel presentation, even though they were concerned about whether he had the content of the gospel. Now they're trying to act. See, it's not enough to just have the content of gospel. You have to have the, a contact with grace. Let me explain that. That means if you say God has called you to something. See, that's why you got to be very, I'm going to stay here for a while. Um, that's why you got to be very, very, very careful when you say the Lord told me. Because if you say the Lord told you, then God will grace results based on what you said he'd do. So what happens here is the reason why they knew that grace was upon him is because they saw, saw gospel-centered results. And when he went to the Gentiles, God transformed the Gentiles. Since he transformed the Gentiles, they say God is with him. That's what it means. Stewarding God's grace is God being with every Christian in a particular sphere, sphere by which he graces them through the gospel to accomplish his kingdom benefits. I can't say that again, so don't ask me to say it again. So, so this means that God gives Christians a sense to where they're going the right direction and the wrong direction. God gives you a sense when he's saying yes, when he's saying no, and when he's saying wait. Paul experienced it. In Thessalonians, God said to Paul, I mean, Paul said, I want to, you know, I'm, I'm coming to Thessalonica. And God used Satan to stop him from going. The Holy Spirit told him at one point, do not go in Asia. Guess what he didn't do? Go in Asia, but he was called to speak to the Gentiles. So God, I'm being, I'm trying to fulfill my calling, but you keep closing doors. That means grace isn't there yet to do what he's called you to do. See, many of us want to kick doors open. Pick, we want to kick doors open that God hasn't opened. And some stuff in your life right now, God is not blessing. There are warning signs on it. It's not yield. It's not a stop sign. It's red light, off limits, police broke down territory detour. But what we want to do is because we're not walking in our prison sentence rightly, we think we chain ourselves based on our own passions versus God guiding us in his direction based on his passions and his grace. All right, let me make it, let me, let me see, let me see. All right, take her for instance, right? I like using her as an illustration. <clears throat> now we were, I remember in college, you know, it was about 1993, you know, December 1993. I remember. And, um, <coughs> and we, we, were, we were in, I was about the end of my last year of college, and she was entering her last year and everything. <coughs> and and, um, and about, about the spring of 94, I started saying, you know what, shorty, all right, man. Um, 
I started praying about her, right? Just started praying of God concerning what would happen. And I, 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 very few times, my, my salvation, called in the ministry, come to Philly, marry that. I'm talking about bukada, like, like I'm talking about epiphany, theophany type stuff, right? I said, I've called her to be your wife. <laughs> so before I said, you know, let me, uh, let's, let's go out, you know, I didn't do that. I went up to, I don't know, I, you know, I'm just telling you, I was, I'm still crazy, but I was a little more, I've been sanctified in my craziness. I went up to her and said, my first conversation with her, because we knew each other, I said, um, I said, um, the Lord called you to be my wife. I stood back, went like that. That was a bold statement, right? Then I was like, She said, the Lord has shown me the same thing. I said, hey! <laughs> right? Now, that don't happen for everybody. Because I'm like, I need that in my spirit right now. I need that. I need some grace. Like, <laughs> Right? <clears throat> but little did I know that God was going to take us on a journey that he was going to affirm his grace his way, not our way. So, so in a season where she and I had broke up, you know, she, you know, I, we was, you know, I ain't going to say nothing. Love you. Um, anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry, baby. You know I got to mess with you. She going to get me this afternoon when we get home. But, um, and, and I remember during, during this particular, I, I broke up, and then what I began to do is instead of, waiting for God to continue the grace of his promise, guess what I did? I started dating other women, confusing them, knowing in my, now I tried to pray her, I fast for 21 days, get her out my spirit. Erica, remember it? I said 21 days. I said, I'm fasting. I got skinny. Now, y'all, I know I'm husky, but I'm talking about, I'm talking about I start to wither up, you know what I'm saying? I start to wither up, dog, you know what I'm saying? And, and um, you know, and they said, what's wrong with Eric? And I, you know, I'm walking like this across the campus. I mean, just withering, right? M losing muscle mass, everything. Because I, I was on creatine, so I was, you know, but then they said, okay, and so, and so what happened was, is I went back, and, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I began, and God, but God would not get rid of that thing. He was saying, listen, you are taking over an opportunity that I'm not, I don't have grace on none of that stuff. So I had to go back to all them sisters and apologize to them and say, God called me to be with this woman, and I knew that, and I still emotionally raped you. I'm so sorry. And then went back and said, then she came to my door, you know, and we cried. I got on my knee because she publicly, you know, and that's a whole other story. <laughs> but so, so <laughs> some people know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all don't know. And then God blessed that that thing would happen, grace on it. I remember I did not want to be a pastor at all. I, I, I'm telling you right didn't want to plant a church, didn't want to go back to the inner city, did not want to raise money. I said, God, these are some things that I'm just letting you know is in my wallet. So whatever you want to call me to do, you should call me to do that. But those four things are off limits. Now, I, said, I didn't say that like in a prayer. I, I said it in my heart. And then God made it clear that I was supposed to be all four of them things. But I struggled with all four of them things, right? And so what I began to do is I began to see if God was with them. 
So, so what I began to do was I began to say, okay, okay, let's see. Pastor, man, none of my mentors, everybody, all my mentors say, we see that on your life. My wife said, I see that on your life. Okay, number one, that's gone. Okay, pastor, okay, I'll do that. Take over something, you know, boom. Church plan. I said, oh, you can't be with that. So I start going into all of this stuff, and all of a sudden this church say, we're going to give you all $100,000 to plant a church. I was like, grace. And as I began to peek through every sense of it, not on, I got to the point where I stopped fighting God's grace. And I began to surrender. Yes, Brother Reggie, I began to surrender. I began to surrender to God. Paul, look at Paul, right? Look, when God's grace is on, some of us, see, we talk grace. But grace is a journey of God opening doors and allow you to struggle while you're in them doors. See, some of us have a picture of grace that's not a biblical picture of grace. And so God wants us to steward his grace by saying, by getting on our knees and seeking his face. Some of y'all don't seek God about nothing. That's why you keep messing up. Because you keep directing your own steps and trying to order your own steps. And when God closes the door, you're mad at him that he hasn't blessed what you threw at him. But I'm just telling you, instead of throwing something at him, throw yourself on your knees and seek his face. And he will reveal it. He will reveal it. When Paul was struggling, stewarding God's grace. Because guess what? He had a thorn in his flesh. A thorn, struggling, fighting, right? Guess what? He said he prayed three times. And the Lord said, guess what? My grace is sufficient for you. Wow. So not only is grace open doors, but sometimes grace is pain. To instruct you how you navigate through doors. And to keep you humble as God opens up doors and you don't wild out because you think you're better than somebody else. Now, in the Old Testament, this idea of grace was called the hand of God. It's the hand. See, this the hand. This one, God blows on something. I don't know if you ever experienced God blowing on something. Like something you've been wanting to happen, something you've been praying, and God just, he blows on it. And, but, but many of us want the hand of God without seeking the heart of God. That's why we're supposed to steward his grace. Because one of the things that you see Jesus' life marked by, well, I wasn't supposed to spend this on uh, Anyway, um, everything you see marked on Jesus' life, you spend, uh, see marked on Paul's life, was a seeking of the face of God and the, and the experience of God's grace. The Bible says in John 1.14, it says in it says, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Jesus Christ was, was a dispenser of grace, but he also experienced God's hand of grace throughout his life. Let's, uh, some, some, some OT passages, y'all believe, is in the Old Testament. In 2 Chronicles 30, 12, it says, the hand of God was also on Judah, <laughs> to give them one heart to do what the king and the princes commanded by the word of the Lord. Ezra 8.22, <laughs> he says, For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way. Since we told the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him. Whew. 
and the power of his wrath is against those who forsake him. Nehemiah 2.18, and I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. This idea of stewarding God's grace is recognizing. See, this is the beautiful thing about being in a relationship with God. We join him, he doesn't join us. Hold on, I want everybody to be quiet. I want you to repeat after me. We join him, he doesn't join us. God doesn't need membership to anything. He doesn't need membership to your life. See, 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 Jesus says, come to me. He didn't say, I'm coming to you. He said, come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will do what? Give you rest. Take my yoke. Now, how you going to give me rest and I take a yoke? I thought we, he's a yoke-destroying anointing. He's the anointed one in his anointing, and he breaks the, the anointing, destroys the yoke. Well, some yokes that, God, that you have are yokes that God have given you. So he says, take my yoke upon you and learn. Wow. So you are under his yoke, under in his imprisonment, and while you're in the imprisonment, you're learning, growing, and developing, and walking through doors of grace. How do you know? Because when the ox gets in front, big old ox, husky ox, little ox behind, Big yoke, little yoke. The, uh, the little ox learns how to yoke bear and how to plow based on following the plowing of the big ox. And the big ox takes all of the heaviness, the weightiness of it, but they're still shackled to each other. And the little ox is supposed to follow the big ox whatever direction the big ox goes. Now, what's so booming about a bigger ox and a little ox is when the big ox turns, the little ox can't help but be yoked in. Because if he's yoked in to the big ox, the big ox is going to make sure the little ox goes the right direction. All I got to ask you today is, are you in prison? Are you in prison today? Experiencing the freedom of what it means. Some, so God, God is closing some doors in you guys' life. God is opening up some doors in your life. And you got to walk with them. Let, um, let, me, let me just stay here. Walk with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. That ain't deep. No Greek needed. Walk with Jesus. Want him. Want him. Want what he has for you. When he has it for you. And how he has it for you. And when that happens, many times in your life you'll be confused about Christ's direction. The reason why you're confused about direction is because you're not the author and finisher of your faith. If you can see everything in your life's direction clearly, you're not being led. You ain't being led. And so I'm, I'm, I'm praying. I'm praying that we see, see, it's not about the road. It's not about the journey. It's about the one who leads the journey. And if you just follow him, you'll be able to deal with the road. But many times we look at the road and not the ruler. So God wants you, the way you steward God's grace is really not moralistically by you pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps, but continuing to be locked into him. And guess what? You are going to struggle following Jesus. You are going to be frustrated with Jesus saying, what direction are you taking me now? My neck hurt. 
But he's going to look back at you and say, but at least you ain't carrying what's on your neck. If you would just follow me, you wouldn't get whiplash so much. I, I, I wish. That, that's the biggest thing about the Christian life. Many times we get stumped by what we want from God and asking him for that thing rather than being an apprentice and following the steward, the, I mean the owner, following him and seeking him. We're supposed to get through so much more, but I'm just going to stop. But I just pray that you would learn to want where God wants you. And I'm just, I, I, I wish I could say it 9,000 more times. The little bit of time I've been on this planet, I've learned that he gives direction so much better than I can. The Bible says that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Your steps are ordered. Your steps are ordered. Be encouraged. Today, your step, you're not on some aimless journey when you're following Jesus. Your steps are ordered by God. And listen, he will let you play catch up. You'll be somewhere. You'll be like, where am I, God? And he'll say, you with me. And I, I, know, I don't know if any of you all have ever been in a spiritual desert place. And loneliness, lonely, human loneliness is really a fog to create something else in the place of Jesus Christ in that desert. Uh, when you find yourself in a desert place, God has placed you there to strip you of stuff that are your passions so that you can passionately look to him. That's what Paul's sufferings was about. That's why he said to live as Christ and to die as gain. <laughs> he said, I consider the sufferings of this present life not to be worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. And so when we talk about stewarding God's grace, when we talk about stewarding this grace, it's all about being with Jesus, where Jesus wants us, when he wants us there, and how he wants us there. And therefore, we are not a factory of our own spiritual journey. Jesus is. That's why he says, I go to prepare a place for you. It's a proleptic idea saying the place is already built. In the Greek, it says the place has been already built. Now, the place is not only where you're going, but where you are. So I'm, I'm going to stop, I promise. But, but we need, I'm just telling you, if we, if we would just become a people who just don't want, I want my destiny. I want my, I want mine. Want him. I'm, I just want him. And your destiny will be clear because he is your destiny. And then you won't be using a crowbar to open doors for yourself. When you follow him, you hear something going, eh, it's a door you're supposed to walk in. And you'll just go like this. You'll be like, all right, y'all, I'll see y'all later. I'm going through the door God got for me. Then another door open. Oh, goodness. Then a door shut. You'll be, instead of crying over what you saw through the other side, what you'll do is you'll say, man's rejection is God's protection. So I'm going to stop here. I promise. But I pray that we would steward, that we would steward, steward 
the grace of God. I don't usually do this, but I'm going to do this. Then look at your neighbor and say, steward the grace of God. Look at the person on the other side, amen, and say, steward the grace of God. <laughs> Father, the most easiest thing usually is the most difficult thing. I have hurt because of not following you so many times. And, and what's interesting, God, is sometimes you'll let me have what I want huh. to show me how empty what I want is. Moses said, why are we going to go without you? We, we want you. We don't want it. We want you. And so, God, <clears throat> as we walk in biblical imprisonment, I pray <clears throat> that we would learn how to follow you. God, that's what this whole thing about a God, uh, this imprisonment is about. It's about following you. It's difficult, but it's beautiful, God. And so I thank you that we don't have a lonely journey. We got you and we got your people. And um, God, I pray that today that you would help us to look to our shepherd who leads and guides and directs us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.